This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not contain or replace any legal advice. Hi everyone and welcome back to our second season of the Day One series for law students. I'm Amelia Hunter and joining me for yet another episode is Declan Peacock. How are things going, Declan? Good, thanks, Amelia. Nice to be back with you again. Interesting, if it was 12 months ago, it probably wouldn't have been interesting. But this week, we've had all of our team members come back to work and we're all working in the office together in in our construction corner of the office. So that's interesting for us, I suppose, given how different things have been. So life's slowly returning to normal in construction, which is, and across the firm more generally as well, which is great to, to see some faces we haven't seen for a long time. So it's been good being back in the office and having everyone in with us. Absolutely. And that's so good to hear. I am... Um... It's been a few days in the office and I absolutely agree. It feels a little bit more normal, which is so nice. It's given me a bit of time to reflect on how strange and different the last year was. And I think looking at where we are now, we can really recognise that the last year has been so challenging and stressful and the different working conditions that we've been faced with have been paired with stresses and different anxieties about work. And I have been reflecting on this a bit as we've been going back to the office, but mental health and anxieties at work are a salient issues and important workplace issues, even during the normal times, and they should be going hmm. forward for employers and, and for all people at, at all stages of their profession. So in this week's episode, we're lucky to be joined by the National Manager of Psychological Services at the Centre for Corporate Health, Deborah Brodowski. Deborah specialises in workplace mental health and wellbeing and works closely with organisations to support employees using tried and tested psychological wellbeing models and programs. Welcome, Deborah, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me here. Deborah. today we're hoping that we can not only raise some awareness around workplace mental health and well-being, but also provide some practical tools for law students and junior lawyers as they prepare for professional life in the workplace. But to start us off, can you tell us a bit more about the Centre for Corporate Health? Uh, so the Centre for Corporate Health has been in operation for 22 years. We're a group of psychologists that are partner with workplaces and we're really passionate in supporting workplaces in terms of mental health and well-being to, for people to be able to bring their best selves to work. As well as when people are starting to struggle, we're able to kind of provide support and strategies to assist. Mental health generally, I see it as being something that sort of was it was on the way to being a, a central issue if it wasn't already in the, in the last couple of years. There's been a lot more through our work about it, I know. But then last year with the different working arrangements and the global pandemic really brought that into sharp focus. And I can't imagine it going back to being anything other than that moving forward. So just in terms of what would you sort of typify as the main factors that affect our, our mental health? Glenn, you're absolutely right. The last 12 months has been really brought mental health into a sharp focus. And for me, that's a a little bit of a blessing. When I started out as a psychologist over 20 years ago, psychologists were something to be feared. We, you know, we were scary. We could read people's minds. Hint, we can't. And and so as a result, the last 20 years and particularly the last 12 to 18 months has really sped up that kind of awareness that mental health isn't just about when you're unwell. Mental health and well-being starts when you are well. So the types of things that affect our mental health are common everyday things which we can absolutely control. So it is about our well-being strategies. It's about our diet. It's about, you know, the healthy foods we eat, the activities that we kind of engage in. So activities, connecting with others, hobbies and interests and, and those sorts of things. It's about staying connected. It's about having that kind of support crew to lean on and, and you know, debrief, vent, whatever you want to call it. We 
when you're having a bad day because it's really normal to have a bad day. It's about feeling safe to kind of say, actually, I'm not okay. So, you know, mental health is, you know, is about feeling safe enough to kind of speak out and share your concerns. It's also about, I guess, you know, from a workplace perspective, as we saw in the last 12 months, it's also about making sure that, you know, if you're working remotely, you've got the resources and the support available to you. You're able to kind of look at your work role and and be able to do that in a remote manner. And that's certainly been a challenge for many, many people in the last 12 months. Those kind of incidental opportunities for connection and support that we used to have when we were all back in the office were really lost when we're working remotely. And I think people are now seeing that opportunity for reconnection. So, you know, having those just wellbeing strategies that help us get through the day, those are the things that can have an impact on our mental health. Speaking about the the last 12 months and the, the extra challenges that have been brought on, do you have you seen an uptick in the services required or used in, in the last 12 months? Definitely. We've seen a huge surge in EAP. So initially when the first lockdown happened in late March, and so at the time of recording, almost a year ago today, there was an initial drop because people didn't know what to expect. We're really uncertain about that and, and we're saying to me things like I'll just wait for things to go back to normal and then I'll come and see you because people were used to seeing psychologists and getting support in a face-to-face format when that kind of became obvious that that wasn't going to happen anytime soon people were reaching out to kind of get support and it was things to do like the uncertainty due to COVID I've lost the things that kind of help keep me well I can't go to the gym anymore I love going to the gym I'm feeling anxious because I'm really uncertain about what this means for my role and and my future as a graduate, a lot of people saying there were a lot of opportunities for me to mentor, get that incidental mentoring when I was in an office. How do I approach my partner? How do I speak to my partner if I can't even see them? They're in, they're in another location. So we saw a lot of that anxiety around uncertainty to do with COVID. Then there were obviously things around loneliness. People were living alone or in kind of living arrangements which weren't able to, allowing them to kind of socialise and feel like they could connect with others. There was a lot of stuff around, you know, relationships and and loneliness that was impacting as well. So we were pleased to see that as the year progressed, there were people reaching out early and really coming back for top-up sessions to kind of keep their well-being in check. One thing you said there about being the graduates were finding it hard. I know this sort of podcast is aimed at, at law students and prospective lawyers. Being back in the office now, I think I've worked from home. Since we're allowed to come back to the office, I've worked from home one day. I yes. love being in the office just because you have that connection and you can learn from people. And I go stir crazy at home because I, as a junior, you, you only interact with sort of your colleagues when you're working with them, whereas you don't, because you, you naturally have less client contact. So you're not on the phone as much as senior senior practitioners are. You see, you know, now you're back at work, you realize people are on the phone all day and I'll be lucky to have one or two phone calls with someone from the office. So I found it really quite isolating being at home. Obviously that was exacerbated by the fact that you couldn't, you know, we're in Melbourne, you couldn't leave the house for mm. months at a time other than to go for your one hour of exercise. So now that it's flicked back to just being from, to sort of life is returning to normal, except we now have the ability to work remotely. Where do you see the position of workplace is sort of taking a more flexible approach to working from home and will that have a, a, an impact on employees well-being and even the, the retention of staying with a business if they're either too flexible or not willing to be flexible enough what, what do you where do you sort of see the long-term changes and the effects that's going to have on people too long away from the office our brain if we're feeling lonely there's a part of the brain called the amygdala which gets activated when the flight or fight response 
when we're feeling lonely. So that's the same as if we, uh, the fight or fight response also gets activated. If we are being chased by a tiger or, you know, suddenly stop, um, you know, there's a traffic, there's a car in front of us that's just stopped abruptly. So that flight or fight response happens in an emergency. But interestingly, it also happens when we're feeling lonely. And so being out of the office for so long last year, I can only imagine how that had an impact on people's well-being because you can't actually pick up the phone and someone's guaranteed to be on the end of the phone line ready to chat. And by not having that, not having those incidental opportunities to connect, the brain shows that it activates the fight or fight response. It lowers our level of empathy and it also lowers our social skills. The development of our social skills and our social muscle is lost. So the benefit of being back into the office, and I love the fact that you said you've, you know, you've only been one day at home since you've been allowed to come back in. Our brains, again, act in a really interesting way. So by being back into the office, your brain in- releases social hormones called oxytocin, vasopressin, and serotonin. And what that does, it reinforces the connection. And even though your stressors at work, the challenges that you face at work are no different because you're actually connected, because you're actually socializing with people, because you've got that release of those neurotransmitters, your perceptions change and your ability to cope changes because you've got that peer-to-peer support. So moving forward, I absolutely see hybrid teams are a way of the future because you know there were absolutely benefits from working from home. I see more and more people are going to have some working from home and some working in the office. And I guess the challenge for workplaces in that space is how do you make sure you keep everyone included? How, how do you make sure that those who are working from home don't actually get excluded and forgotten about in communication and connection and making sure that they feel as valued as those that are in the office? And that's a real opportunity because the benefits of working from home is obviously you don't have that commute. You're able to kind of do activities which you might not have done previously because of that commute. So you might be able to do more exercise or other activities which um, you've missed because you're commuting. So it's a bit of give and take. Yeah, I think we're, we're finding that that's the one thing about being back in the office that I've found is that I'm probably exercising a little bit less yeah. than I was at the end of last year when I was working from home just because you realise you, you lose that bit of extra time in a day and you're having dinner later at night. But, but for me and particularly the junior lawyers just because the learning opportunities are, mm. are so much greater. Is there anything specific that you think sort of if there are listeners that, you know, live sort of more remote from the city or then they find it harder to be in the office themselves for whatever reasons or because of they, they just find it difficult to get to work. Obviously, there's the responsibility for workplaces to be connected, but are there things that individuals can be doing themselves to sort of to help curb that feeling? of? We just need to do them with a little bit more intention and forethought. So I always like the idea of a buddy system. So I always like the idea of kind of, you know, who would you normally have conversations with in the office and that you might be missing because you're working remotely? You know, if that's the case, I w- agree to a time that you can kind of have either a few downing tools for lunch or if you're able to have 15 minutes to have a coffee, do a Zoom coffee with them once a week. You know, make those opportunities. Still have those virtual catch-ups that you would have normally done if you were in the office environment. It does take a bit more planning and intention, but you'll still feel those benefits. We know that so much of an employee's well-being is found through the quality of the relationships with their peers as well as with their line manager. So, you know, making sure you've got that peer-to-peer 
peer support, even in a virtual space? What you know, who do you normally connect with, and how can you do that even virtually uh, and agreeing to a time to catch up? Because if you don't do that by agreeing to a time, you'll end up playing phone tag for about three days before you're able to catch up. And I guess the other thing that you know, in terms of that leader support, it might not necessarily be through the partner, but is there like a you know, as a graduate, is there an SA or an SC that or some other mentor that you can at least have something locked in the diary? You know, even if it's just 20 minutes a week, just to kind of catch up. This is what I'm working on in the matters. This is how I'm, how things are going. So that again, you've got that connection of support. When we first started working from home, we set up a, a buddy system and I got paired with one of our special counsels who's also named Declan. And we, we realized when we came back from sort of lockdown and we're back in the office that nobody had actually really adopted the buddy system except the two of us. And he'd give me a call sort of once a week, once a fortnight, and we'd just chat for half an hour about anything. And he moved on from mm-hmm. the firm during our second lockdown I sort of only realized at that point where those calls weren't coming in how good those calls were because they weren't happening anymore so I think you know without even realizing how valuable that was until it was gone it was a really good thing for for both of us I think just to have someone to have a chat to where it's not about work in a strict sense because you know you, you get bogged down in work when you're at home and I think just talking about work all the time can sort of compound that but just having a chat about nothing in particular was really really good so it's interesting that you highlighted when it was missing and this is what we often find when it's missing that's when you sort of think oh that's right I actually did value that so there is a lot to be said to kind of set these things up like you did because the benefits are enormous so I'm really pleased to hear that that was a really uh, important thing that you did you did and that you actually found it to be a benefit. We've spoken a little bit there about buddy systems and mentioned before very briefly the employee assistant program the EAP program which we um, we also have in place at Maddox and is very much advertised as available to us. Can you tell us based on your work on in the corporate sector what the leading organisations are, are doing beyond these uh, examples to support mental health? Some great things that have been done They've been, and it's been very creative I guess through COVID particularly during lockdown but now that we're working hybrid so there's been some great examples where leaders and teams have kind of come together and sort of said how are we going to stay connected because I'm a big piece about well-being is maintaining social connection when you're physically disconnected. So how are we going to actually stay connected with our well-being? So it's helping leaders to have those conversations with the teams to be able to do that. And I think it's not necessarily talking about work. The thing about workplaces and the, the value about workplaces and workplace culture is not only the work that you do, so the task aspect, but it is also the people you work with. And that's the people aspect. So thinking about the creative ways that we can still connect, even though we might be physically distant. So it could be people leaders doing on partners or, or SAs, SCs doing check-ins just to sort of see how you're going, which you'd normally do in the office on a Monday morning it's sort of say how was your weekend what did you do so doing that in a more virtual space when people were in lockdown being able to do really great initiatives for virtual catch-ups so I'd hear teams doing things like coffee roulette making sure that there was time designated each week where a group of three so coffee roulette meaning you never know who you'd be catching up with until you kind of designated another two people you'd jump on a zoom call together catch up over a quick coffee and just again have that incidental conversation that you probably would have had in the office but very much harder to have 
in a virtual space. Other social events, and again, it's it's been the creativity of the teams to kind of maintain those connections, which has been fantastic. It's been about my favourite one, full disclosure, I'm a Eurovision tragic. And one of the great things that Eurovision <laughs> wasn't on last year, so sad, but there was a Eurovision movie that came out and I heard a team saying, well, we're going to watch the Eurovision movie virtually together. And I thought, what a great creative way of coming together and actually sharing experience when you can't be physically present with one another. So it was about leaders and HR, WHS professionals leaning in with their teams to say, how are we going to make this work? And having that really open dialogue in being able to do that. I guess where we got involved was that we were supporting those leaders and those teams and the the HR, WHS professionals in being able to kind of say, well, these are the skills that we need to kind of access during, you know, particularly when there were increased restrictions. How are we going to actually have these skills play out? And by actually doing those sorts of things, we saw more engaged, more people and and teams and more on task, less fatigue and and better well-being outcomes than for those that are just sitting in front of a computer all day, not speaking to anyone, not feeling connected at all. You've spoken there about what HR managers and managers generally in an organisation can do, but for us and for our uh, junior lawyers and law students who are listening, can you give us some tips on how we or, or law students just entering the profession might help a colleague who they know is struggling or how they might start a conversation yeah. uh, with someone that who they think they is having a hard time, or so you know, just having those incidental conversations about yeah. how was your weekend and and um, what's been going on. So understanding the person as a whole. When we were in the office, we were very good at kind of knowing what people did on the weekend, what challenges they're facing because we had those incidental conversations. Yeah. Working virtually or, or hybrid, it's harder to do that. But by still having those kinds of conversations, as I mentioned, that lays a great platform to have the RUAK conversation. And RUAK as a foundation has done a wonderful job of that four-letter acronym to remember how to ask your RUAK. So just ask the question, you know, I've noticed a change. You haven't seen yourself lately. Remember, I'm here for you. I'd love to be able to talk to you about whatever's going on are you okay? And then listen to what they have to say. So a lot of people get scared about the response. No, I'm not okay. That's okay. Your role isn't to fix the situation. It's just to problem solve with them and connect it to the next bit. So listen to what's going on for them. Ask, listen, encourage action. Okay. I hear that there's a lot going on for you at the moment. What's a great first step that we can do together? How can I support you to kind of take a first step to help you out in this space? So if you're a graduate in a a law firm, it can be about, well, should we call EAP? Or should we go to HR? What's a first step that we could do? Should we go to the SC, SA, people? partner so what's a safe first step um if you're a law student is it going to the university counseling services so what's a safe first step to do and then the the final one is just connecting to that and keeping on following up so it's really important that you keep looping back and checking in with them because that way you can kind of say hey how did that go oh you didn't do it that's okay let's talk about why that didn't happen how can we make that happen for you in that you're just being it's like being a good friend or a good colleague you just you do that with a friend or a colleague you sort of say, hey, let's work out what's going on so we can kind of take a step to address it. Works so well in this context. And the wonderful thing is I've seen so many great RUAK conversations happen over the last 12 to 18 months because people have had real struggles and really wanting to make sure that people get the support that they need. One of the things I've loved is when people have had those conversations, they've reached out early for support rather than done nothing and watch and wait because we know from a wellbeing perspective that mental health doesn't stay static. So doing nothing 
change is nothing and the situation doesn't improve on its own. If anything, the situation could potentially worsen. Your role in supporting that colleague is you're taking a step to help circuit break whatever's going on and being able to provide assistance so that we can change the trajectory for what's going on for them. Having those conversations, I think it was a lot easier in a lot of ways because I think you'd be You'd be lying if you if if anyone anyone that would that said they'd had a fine year and they weren't struggling at all, I think would be putting on a pretty brave face and probably mm-hmm. telling a couple of fibs as well because it was a very difficult year. So I think those conversations, at least for me, mm. were a lot easier to have um, just because you, you sort of you know that the answer you're going to get is well, actually it's been pretty tough because it 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 was for everybody. I suppose the thing that I have traditionally struggled with, I think, and whether it's my underlying sense of, you know, masculinity, don't ask, don't tell. Oh, we sure could. We could probably do a podcast (laughs) separately on that, those issues, but we'll we'll keep it on. (laughs) Are there sort of signs that you should be looking out for in somebody or is it to see if there's differences in behaviour? And if people are working remotely, how do you overcome that? And I also suppose, is it just a matter of regularly checking in with your colleagues? It's a lot reduced compared to 20 years ago when I first started but there's still a sense of some stigma and shame so regularly checking in because that's what a good colleague does that's what a good friend does but it's noticing the change if you're doing that regular check-in you're also noticing that gee Duncan doesn't seem himself today there's just all this week this past couple of weeks he's seemed less outgoing he's he's not kind of socializing as much we're not able to kind of go out for coffees like we used to I know he's got a lot on but when I'm talking to him he's also kind of giving really quick answers and that's just not like him he's normally a really friendly outgoing person oh he mentioned to me that you know something's going on with his family I might just check in and ask how he's okay because that's what I'd do as as a good colleague it is just noticing those changes if they're just not they don't seem themselves and you're just not used to them being that way ask are you okay if it is a virtual environment which is obviously much harder to kind of detect can help kind of have this assumed understanding that over the last 12 months it has been challenging for absolutely everyone so we've kind of been able to get permission to sort of ask that question more frequently but by actually looking at some cues which are virtual so people never turning on their camera I know I hate turning on the camera I'm so sick of my face but you know for the benefit of kind of connecting and and, and, <laughs> and the like it's important to turn on my camera so not turning on your camera in meetings where it's expected not answering phone calls just responding via sms or emails rather than actually hearing the pace of someone and tone of someone's voice seeing them virtually that's always a big clue for me it's like they're not even wanting to share their uh, camera they're not even picking up the phone for me and that's just not like them they're the cues to kind of look out for excellent I think those are some really really helpful tips and I'll definitely be adopting some of those myself thank you Deborah we're going to change track a little bit now and speak about burnout and professional burnout during your career so we've been hearing a lot about it in the media and especially for the legal profession you know there's often a, a sense of increased workload, increased work hours and heightened anxieties. Can you explain a bit more about professional burnout? We have seen a lot of burnout and that's basically mental fatigue. So really for us to feel that we're at our optimum, our brains need a break. We need to be able to feel like we can take a break from work. You have demanding roles in what you do. Your work requires 
so much cognitive thinking, problem solving, decision making. It's what makes you brilliant at what you do. But your brain needs a break. And what's happened over the last 18 months, actually, is that our brain hasn't had an opportunity to rest. Few people remember that before we had this global pandemic, we actually had Black Summer, which was these unprecedented bushfires, particularly across the east coast of Australia, which impacted so many people in so many different ways. I know in Sydney and in in ACT, there was this thick smoke, which, you know, made it hard for people to actually even breathe for a few days because the thick smoke kind of shrouded the city. But so the the black summer actually impacted on a lot of people because we couldn't kind of do the things that we would normally do for our well-being because we couldn't get outside, we couldn't go on holidays because obviously you're worried about where the fires are and you you might know someone in those communities. So we didn't really get a break last year over the summer period. And then obviously this time last year at the time of recording, COVID kind of started impacting on our lives. So again, our well-being strategies that we would normally do to switch off for our brain to have that break weren't happening. We know that people obviously had a lot of holidays booked, which would give them the opportunity to switch off and detach from their work. But because we weren't allowed to travel anywhere last year, what was happening was people were thinking, oh, I might as well just keep on working. So there was a bank up of leave. But with that bank up of leave also meant people didn't switch off. They didn't switch off to actually have that to give their brain a break from COVID because it was not only were you working, but you were also stressed about the ongoing impacts of COVID. So your brain had an additional cognitive load. So having a break, even if you couldn't have gone anywhere on holidays, having a break from that work could have actually kind of given us a a little bit of a rest and respite, but we didn't do that. The other thing that happened, obviously, because of the increased restrictions and us working remotely, many people forgot about the wellbeing strategies or didn't implement wellbeing strategies that they would normally have had in their office-based life to their remote-based life. So we heard a lot of people initially just working longer, stretching their work days. They would wake up and log on. They wouldn't do, and then keep on working and look and, and staying on their computer well beyond what would be normally reasonably expected of their workload. So what really helps us in terms of our well-being is what we call psychological bookends. You've got start to the day and an end to the day and often the commute to and from work helps us have those psychological bookends so that we could switch on and switch off. But because we were working remotely, we didn't have that either. So those two things about working extra long hours trying to constantly adjust to change that was occurring. You also had kind of the demands of your work anyway and also a lack of leave has meant that people are building up over the last 18 months are now feeling really fatigued, are feeling so tired because of their brains just need a break. So it is. It's a, I guess the key takeaway is making sure to prevent burnout thinking about your well-being strategies that you're doing every day. So what are you doing to kind of top up your well-being? When are you connecting with your peers, even if you're working in a hybrid environment? When are you actually doing your exercise? You know, how are you eating and sleeping and drinking healthily? So doing all those little bits and pieces are powerful in terms of our overall well-being. But what we saw last year, which led to the burnout, is that those opportunities got missed. The, the burnout is just that so closely related to well-being. You can see how it would quickly spiral into sort of from one thing to another and then you get to that point where you're really sort of in a hole for yourself. So I suppose I can see how important maintaining that routine is and I think coming back into the office has been fresh in a way where you don't get that when you're working from home. Burnout is obviously that mental fatigue. It can also lead to depression or anxiety. So remember the, the point that you made there is that well-being occurs on a 
continuum. So it just doesn't end at burnout. It can lead to really significant mental health concerns if you don't do something about it. I understand EAP uh, in the Centre for Corporate Health. You also deal with people sort of people's careers burning out rather than people burning out in their careers. What would you say the sort of the signs are that feel like your career is stalled or you're not going anywhere? Mm. I know you do a bit of sort of coaching work around that about what steps people can take if they're feeling they're stuck in a bit of a rut professionally. People don't often sit and reflect on their careers until they're applying for their next job and they're updating their resume and then they kind of look back and kind of go, oh, I did all this great stuff. I've forgotten about this stuff. So in terms of, I guess, kids, Keeping on top of our careers and our career goals and trajectory. And it doesn't need to be every day, but thinking every so often, you know, but just reflecting on the last period of time you had that opportunity to reflect. And like I said, don't let it be until you're wanting to apply for the next job. What I'm really grateful for in this role, what are the other things I am looking for in my career at this point in time? And what are some really great wins that I can really celebrate at this point in time? Because they're the sorts that kind of gratitude can really help you think, okay, I'm in a good spot. Or if you're thinking about, oh, is there more? That's actually an opportunity to talk to your SA, SC, partner, or even HR to sort of say, to think more broadly in that space. As an EAP provider, one of the things we would do is obviously reflect on those sorts of things. But we also like to kind of look at a a strengths-based model as well. So one of the great free resources out there is by Martin Seligman, who's the father of positive psychology. And he does this thing called the signature strengths and their characteristics that kind of look at the essence of who you are. So they're more than just skills, motivations and abilities, which obviously make you tick in law. Underpinning on that, what gets you out of the bed each morning and kind of gives you a zest for life? And they're the kind of things that are underpinning you in terms of your career. For me, one of my core signature strengths is a love of learning. So irrespective of what I'm doing in my career, in my job, I need that opportunity to be constantly learning. And so it's looking out for how do I learn? Well, I learn whenever I talk to someone new. I learn from talking to people. I learn from their experiences in their lives. So those signature strengths can also help in terms of kind of looking at careers and constantly having that reflection activity in terms of, am I okay where I am at the moment? What else do I need to do? Are there things that I can also consider? Taking stock of where you are in your career at all points in time is not something that I've ever thought about and I think a really useful tool. Can you give us your top three tips for our listeners, uh, for law students and young lawyers? Always stay connected. So make <laughs> so the success of what we do and the success of our growth and development is to stay connected. And if there's one thing that COVID taught us in the last 12 months is that power of connections. Again, you don't need 5,000 people to be connected to, but who are your support crew? Have you got peers or mentors, leaders, you know, a great SA or an SE or a partner that you can stay connected to because they will help you both personally and professionally as you progress through this wonderful career that you'll have. Reality test situations, learn, develop, vent, debrief. Again, all that fabulous oxytocin, serotonin and vasopressin that really gets released from staying connected is so crucial. Law is demanding. I have no doubt about that. They have really big jobs to do and it's, and they're really important jobs and I get that. So what can we control in that space? And it is those moments to top up your well-being. So thinking about what worked in terms of keeping my well-being topped up when I was working in the office, during COVID, when I was working under restrictions and I had to work remotely, what are the key things that I need to keep doing to keep my well-being in check? Because just like physical health and well-being, we don't just automatically think, oh, I'm just, I'm going to be a, a marathon runner and 
it's just there. It's practice. It's a muscle that we have to develop. That's the same with mental health. So what are the things that help me stay on top of my game so that I can stay mentally healthy and well? Is it going for a bike ride each day? Is it doing my hobby that I love to do on the weekends? It's going to be unique for everyone in their personal circumstances. But what's the thing that helps me to keep on top of my well-being? And the final thing, which I absolutely acknowledge can be a challenge at times, particularly at COVID, our entire well-being is underpinned by good sleep. Generally, six to eight hours of sleep per night uh, where possible is really important. Again, our brain needs to rest and recover and snap back to be in its best shape for tomorrow. And in law, you rely so much on all that brilliant prefrontal cortex to kind of problem solve, decision make, complex reasoning. That's what makes you tick. So the only way that you can stay on top of of your game in that space is by getting a decent night's sleep. So thinking about the factors that might be impacting on your sleep. Is it, you know, you're drinking coffee too close towards bedtime? Is it that you, you know, you're working right up until bedtime and then you're trying to um, go to bed and you're still wired? So what are the things that you're doing to kind of help you get a good night's sleep to, again, help switch off that brain to say, It's time to rest. It's time to relax. It's time to detach from work for a period of time so that I can be my best self for tomorrow. I am more than happy to take that advice. Yeah, no, I think I've taken that as as gospel and I'm going to have a sleep after this one. We will leave it there. This has been a, a really good discussion and some really good takeaways for, you know, this is the good, the best part about doing the podcast is, you know, our listeners get to take these on board, but but so do we. We get so many people to learn from and this has been thank really valuable time. for Amelia and I. So thank you so much for joining us today, Deborah. So if listening to today's episode has had any impact on you uh, and you're a Maddox employee, you can contact our employee assistance program through our intranet. And for all our listeners, if you or someone you know is suffering, please reach out to Beyond Blue, Headspace or Lifeline. We'll be popping those details in the episode description so they're they're there for you. Uh, As always, if you have any questions, head over to the Maddox Lawyers Instagram account and send us a message. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, And we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.